Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Hope that you have had a great week. I have. I spent a couple of days down at Torquay. Hope that your week has been awesome. And uh, what an awesome year. I can't believe really that it's, this is the last service, normal service, the last normal day. Next week, we've got our Christmas services. And uh, man, I'm so excited about that. I can't believe how quick this year has gone. It's crazy to me, you know. I don't know. It's like the older you get, the more time seems to speed up. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever really get used to that. But this has been a great year. I'm I'm thinking that next year is going to be amazing. Is anybody with me on that? Man, yeah, next year is going to be amazing. And, uh, you know, next year I'm believing is going to be a year where God begins. This is what I think will happen. Next year I think that people who have had um, things spoken over their life that have shelved it because it wasn't the right time or season, I feel like God is going to come and get in that thing, that dream, that vision that He put on your heart and in your life. And He's going to say, why'd you shelve that? that you know, He's going to take it off the shelf. And I believe that next year God is going to answer the prayers of people's hearts. And I believe that next year is going to be an amazing year for our church. And when I say that, let, let me just be really clear about that. The church is just made up of people. It's going to be an amazing year for you. It's going to be an amazing year for God to do great things in your life. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to uh, pump up the year or get excited. I'm saying that because that's what God has spoken to to me and into my heart, and there's been so much confirmation around that. Next year, our theme for the year is dream again. And I think that there are some people that have had dreams and, or, or attempted something, or maybe stepped out, maybe even failed at something. And next year is going to be the year where you can start to dream again, because we've got an amazing God who's faithful in every season. And uh, I just think that's going to happen next year. So I'm excited. If you uh, have, have only come to Activate Church recently, or perhaps this is your first time in a long time. The theme for our year, sometimes God would just put stuff on my heart about the direction for our church for the year. And the theme for this year has been your kingdom come. Around August last year, uh, August 2014, I'm just in my room at home and I'm studying and I'm reading the Lord's Prayer. And you know when you understand stuff, but then you have an encounter with something you already understand. You, you might know what I mean. And I felt like I had an encounter with that passage of Scripture. And, he, and, and, and Jesus says to his disciples, when you pray, I want you to pray this way. He says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that it's our job to see what's happening in heaven to be reflected on earth. And I actually also believe that, that it's not something that happens outside of us. It's something that happens inside of us. And that God wants to take His people, His chosen people. His, uh, the, the Bible uses the word ecclesia, which is God's called out ones. It's His community. It involves people on earth. It involves the angels. It involves His creation. He wants the community of heaven and earth to begin to shift things on this planet. And when we see things on this planet that don't look right, we're meant to be agents of change, called by God to do things on behalf of God and to do it in Jesus' name. And so... I, I believe that. And, you know, this year we said, let God's kingdom come to planet Earth and let us sort of be a part of that. 
that the, the, the kingdom of God is really the manifestation of God's presence on the earth. And when I say the word manifestation, if you don't know what that means, the word manifestation, it really means to make something plain, to make it obvious, to make it clear, to make it simple to people. And I think it's awesome when you see the people of God that are moving in stuff that is just outrageous. And people should be able to look at us and say, there is something that's plain and obvious and simple about what they're doing. It's so obvious to us that there is something supernatural that's happening. God seems to answer their prayers. He seems to shift things. And, uh, you know, so we want to see the kingdom of God be at work in the lives of people. Jesus actually said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And he said that before he died. We're past that. I think the kingdom of God is in the here and it's in the now. And, uh, you know, that, 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 that word kingdom uh, comes from two words. It's king's domain or king's dominion. The word dominion, I know I'm moving fast, just want to clue you into the year. The word dominion is about authority. And see, when you become a child of God, you get something that people that are not children of God, you get something that they don't have. You get spiritual authority. You didn't get it because you're awesome. You got it because Jesus is awesome. You got it because He died on the cross to set you free from the power of sin over your life. The gospel message is that you're saved by grace through faith in Christ. I think that's awesome. And since His grace extends to you and it's all over your life and it's in your world in every single way, you know, the kingdom of God, it means that, that when things begin to happen in the world that is, exists around you, when you see things that shouldn't be as they are, You've actually got the authority to do something about it. You're called by God to be, to be world changers. And I'm not saying that lightly. And I don't think, I'm not trying to pump that up either. We're called to be world changers, to shift the world that we see around us. Sounds like a big task, but guess what? There's millions of people around the world, billions actually, that are called by God to be doing the exact same thing. Kingdom of God, or the word kingdom is used 303 times in the Bible. Kingdom of uh, God is used 88. Kingdom of heaven, 41. Let me tell you something about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is one of the most central themes of the Bible. The kingdom of God is a major feature of the New Testament. The kingdom of God becoming alive and being around us and seeing God give people, His people authority is one of the most fundamental truths about becoming a Christian. And I said, I want a year. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I want a year where I begin to see the things that need shifting to begin to shift, you know? Uh, you, you guys have all asked for this same stuff, by the way. If you've ever prayed a prayer for someone to get healed, there is no reason why that person, person should get healed. But God, there's no reason. You're actually praying that the kingdom of God is active in your life and, and, and in your world. The kingdom of God is so valuable that you would do anything to, to, to lay hold of it. You do anything to, to be a part of it. And Jesus, he, he tells two stories. He tells two stories. He tells a story about uh, a hidden treasure. He tells a story about a pearl of great price. And in both the stories, the people that find the kingdom of God, that they once they find it, they give absolutely everything in their life to have it. That's how important the kingdom of God is. That's how precious it is. He tells a story about a pearl merchant. I think about a pearl merchant. That's the kind of guy that knows the value of a pearl. This, 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 the story of the pearl of great price. So there's a pearl merchant who understands something about value. 
He finds a pearl that's worth so much, he sells everything he's got. He gives away everything he has to lay hold of that one thing. Jesus said that one thing is like the kingdom of God, that you would give everything to have it. And see, when God created people, he created us and he gave us uh, dominion and authority over the world. In fact, this is really easy to find. If you just open the book to page one, you start to read Genesis chapter one. And you read, what does he say? He created Adam. And then he said, right, Adam, you're in charge. And what happened, if you know the story, is that we handed authority and dominion of this planet, of planet Earth. We handed that over. And it was handed over through disobedience. You know, Adam and Eve, they took the apple and they ate it or the fruit, whatever it was. And they, they took it and they ate it. And when they disobeyed God, they lost some of their authority. The gospel message isn't just that Jesus died for you and died on the cross to set you free from the power of sin that would otherwise rule your life and master you. The, 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 the work of Jesus is so powerful that it actually restores the former authority that God gave to his people on planet earth. There's a restoration that's happening. And so when I talk about the kingdom of God, I don't want to use that term so lightly without you understanding what it's about. Why did we spend a year thinking about the kingdom of God and preach into it? particularly at the beginning of the year, because it is literally this precious. It's this important. And I reckon that in 2016, God's going to call this church. Let me rephrase that. God is going to call you to do impossible things in Jesus' name. And the thing about that is that you, you absolutely cannot do it without Him. The currency of miraculous things in your life. The currency is faith. It's actually by faith that you move mountains. It is impossible to do anything without faith and faith in Jesus. So, so next year is going to be a year, 2016 is going to be a year where God is going to call upon you and maybe many of you to get out of the boat, out of that place of safety and do something amazing in Jesus' name. And all you got to do to begin to walk in what I'm talking about is you got to believe. Now, I know that's a challenge for some people because sometimes you hear God say something that sounds too fantastic. It sounds too miraculous. That's how you know it's probably God. And, and, and I love this, what Bill Johnson says about faith. He says that faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the presence of belief. And what you want in your life is the presence of belief. The truth is the voice of doubt will always speak into your life. It will always try to talk you out of the promises of God. It'll try to talk you out of the dreams that God puts on your heart. By the way, uh, the language of the Spirit of God is dreams and visions. So it makes sense that, you know, that, that you're always going to be trying to be talked out of the dreams that are in your heart because that's actually God's desired purpose for your life. But... If you've got the presence of belief, what did Jesus say? Faith the size of a mustard seed, right? If you've got faith, the presence of faith in your life, man, I reckon awesome things are going to happen in your life. I reckon awesome things are going to happen in this church. And so next year, uh, you know, where is God leading us? I believe he's calling us to dream again. And so that's the theme for the year. So we're going to dream again because some people that have had dreams that have failed, they need to dream again and not just allow the thing that happened last time to happen again this time. I want to speak to you all about that this morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, uh, read a scripture to you this morning. And uh, step by step, 
And I could not stop singing that new kid's block on the block song. Do you know the song? Step by step, ooh, baby. Put your hands up if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, my gosh. All right. Note to self, ask what people, if they've heard of it before you sing it. Actually, if you've never heard of it, you don't know how good or bad job I did. So that's, that's the other thing, right? I've been singing this song for like two days. I, I, I can't get it out of my head. Do you know what I did? I went on iTunes and I was going to actually play it in the service. But then I didn't. So anyway, let's do this. Uh, I want to read to you from Psalm 56, verses 3 to 4. This is David. He writes this. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Let's pray. God, we thank you for today, and we thank you for this year. And we thank you, God, that you're calling your people to do great things in your name. I pray your blessing to be upon every person in this room today. And Lord, for even for those that, you know, for whatever reason, could not be here today, I pray your blessing to be upon their heads and upon their families. And I pray that uh, as we even bridge from this year into next year, I pray, God, that you'd fill the hearts and minds of people with wonderful dreams, with things that, that will inspire, with things that will encourage. And God, for some people here, you're going to be speaking to them about stepping out into ministry. Some people here, you're going to be speaking to them about their businesses. But whatever it is, God, whatever the dream is that's in their heart, whatever you put in their hearts, I pray that it's that which you bless. Lord, you're not responsible to author all of our dreams, only your dreams in us. And so, Father, I just pray that you do that. Pour it out. Open heaven over this church. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, uh, every person faces fear of something. Everyone faces fear at some point in their life. And it doesn't matter. Maybe it's the first time you start something new. You know, it's a new job and, uh, you, you know, you've, you've never attempted anything like that before. Or I know some people that sort of get nervous at just about applying for a new job and sort of afraid of what might happen if they actually get that job. You know, uh, I, I, right now I'm actually facing the number one fear on the planet, uh, which is public speaking. So th- this is the number one fear. I'm just taking it head on today, aren't I? And uh, in Jesus' name name. So, you know, it's funny because everyone faces fear. And I think that one of the things that I see that emerges a lot in the lives of Christian people is a fear of failure. And I don't know what it is about the desire in us to make sure that we get everything perfect and right and, and, and how that impacts us. But I know that some people are just not willing to try for fear of failure and stepping out and seeing something not come to pass as it did maybe in their hearts. And, you know, honestly, today, I don't, I don't even want to preach to you about not being afraid because the truth is, is I think that sometimes there are really good times to be afraid, you know. And uh, look, when it comes to spiders, good time to be afraid, all right? And they're crawling across your lap or whatever, like freak out, do whatever you got to do, get the danger away. There are good times to be afraid afraid. There are times when you shouldn't be afraid. And, and, and the thing that you have to learn in life is this. 
you have to learn when it's okay to be afraid and when it's not okay to be afraid because fear can actually save your life in different ways. You just got to know when. And the scripture that I read um, to you guys today is written by David, uh, King David. And if you're new to church or you're a guest, you're not in church very often. You might have heard about this guy, killed a giant once. His name was Goliath. And so this is uh, David. Now, at the point that he writes this, he's not actually the king yet. He became the king of Israel. But actually, there's a guy who's the king right now when David is writing this psalm. And the, and the guy who is king is a man by the name of Saul. And Saul is incredibly jealous of David's success. And I think he's a little bit worried about the fact that David is going to rule the kingdom. People would sing songs and they'd say, Saul, your accomplishments are okay. David, your accomplishments are incredible. And, and he would hear those songs and he's like, shut those people up why are people singing this you know so he, he he's overcome terribly with insecurity and what is the easiest thing to do when you're insecure you just kill the person right so so he says well I'm just gonna kill David and then all my problems go away it's a great solution just kill people so he he decides he's going to kill David so at the time when David writes this passage of scripture he's a fugitive and he's on the run and as he's running away and, 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 you know, Saul is chasing him. By the way, he's on his own and God hasn't begun to call people to get around David yet. So he's very isolated. He's very alone. He just had to grab his stuff and run. He didn't even take his swords or his weapons or anything with him. And he comes across a couple of priests and he says, guys, do you have like a, give me something to eat? And do you have like a sword or something? You know, you've got to aid and help me, you know? And, and these these priests, they said, yeah, David, I mean, we're here. We'll help you. Well, Saul found out about that and killed him. He said, anybody that helps David, I'm going to kill him. So no one wanted to help him. He's just becoming more and more isolated. And where is he going to go and what's he going to do? We, he couldn't stay where he was. So he decides to try to take refuge. And it says that the Philistines, they actually seized him. And the king of Gath, who, who was a person that David had actually sort of warred against their nation, he ends up getting seized by the, by the Philistines. And so he's there and he's thinking, okay, so here is my situation. If I go home, Saul will take the entire army and try to kill me. And I can go to my enemies, but they're just as likely to kill me. No one will help me. Anyone that does help me is being threatened to be killed. I am in so much trouble. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know what he actually does to get out of it? And you can read this for yourself. He goes to the Philistines, but he pretends to be crazy. He actually says that he drools down his beard and they're looking at this guy and he's just pretending like he's lost the plot. So then the king goes, what am I going to do with this guy? I don't need anyone else like, you know, acting like this. He says, just get, you know, take him out, get him out of my presence. And because he acts crazy, it's the one thing that actually saves him. Now, I want you to be, um, imagine yourself in the place of David right now. Sometimes fear is a good thing. And in this particular case, I think that David has every reason to be afraid of his future. I think he's got every reason to be concerned with what might come up. And if he had no regard or no concern or no fear whatsoever at all, then you have to say, David, you really have lost the plot. But, but he, he did, and that's how he was. And at this point, and this is the important part, at this point right here, he says, when I am afraid... I put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. 
on Sunday in church, this is the time when you're probably least likely to be afraid. This is the time, you know, you're standing there and people are leading worship and Jono is jumping and worship is great and you're standing there and you've got your hands up and you're like, God, you are awesome. And I praise your name. And at that point, your faith is high. You believe it. You got someone, me or someone, that stands in this spot every week and encourages you with why you can believe in God. And as you're listening to it and it's shaping your heart and it's shaping your mind, at that point, it's easy to have less fear. Actually, where it really counts is when you are afraid. It's when you're afraid. It's making a decision at the point where your fear is at its pinnacle that you say, ah, in spite of all the fear that I feel at this point, I'm going to begin to move forwards. Proverbs 3.5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The heart believes what the mind is always trying to catch up with and understand. The heart believes. You enter into the realm of the heart, the part where you believe, where you just trust. And at that point, your understanding, your mind, the logic part of your brain have you ever felt that it tries to reinterpret your situation back to you? And so you're saying, oh, I just believe. And people with no faith, no relationship in God, they say, you're crazy. You're absolutely insane. How could you possibly believe? And you just say, well, I just do. It's my heart, in my heart, I, I believe that this is true. And your brain says, have you really thought about this? Gee, I don't know. You know, this sounds a little crazy even to me. There's a great story about this. I, I, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And uh, Jesus takes place in Matthew chapter 14. And Jesus has just fed uh, 5,000 people. And so Jesus, he goes up onto the mountain to pray. Meanwhile, his disciples, they get into a boat and they begin to go, into the, go off into, into the lake. And so it says about the fourth uh, watch of the night, Jesus is there praying and this incredible storm just begins to rise up, you know, and, 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 and it's, it's just fallen upon this boat. And so Jesus can see his disciples and he, he knows they're in trouble and they are freaking out. So you know what he does? He does what any of us would do. He walks on the water to go out to see how they're doing. As you do. And he walks out there and Peter, Peter sees Jesus walking along the lake. But he, he doesn't know that it's Jesus. And so he sees this guy and his first reaction is, it's a ghost. He says, there's a ghost out there. Can everybody see this? There's a ghost that's walking in the middle of the lake. And then the person who doesn't actually identify themselves as Jesus, he says, do not be afraid. It is I. I'm like, well, you didn't really say who you were. I guess it's really important to know the sound of Jesus' voice, right? Because he just says, it is I. And Peter puts himself in this really interesting position. He says, uh -huh. well, if it's you, Lord, then ask me to come to you on the water. Now, I've thought about this story many times. 
And I thought if it was a ghost, it would just tell him to come anyway, right? He says, yeah, step out. Let's see how that works for you. Like if it really wasn't Jesus, he's going to say, come anyway. So Peter puts himself in this position where even after, after he puts a fleece out, you know, you ever put fleeces out and then God answers your prayer and then you're still double-minded about it. You're like, well, I don't even really know if I believe that now. Well, that's what Peter does. And, and, and Jesus, man, he, he, he says this one word and he says, come. And I think about that story. I think about that story a bit, actually. And it's just a couple of passages, like a, you know, a couple of sentences in your Bible. I think about that story. I think about the fact that here is Peter. He's standing on the edge of the boat. And the wind is howling. I mean, it is blowing a gale. And it's hard to, to really hear. That's why everyone's shouting. He hears the voices of the sailors and, and they're all yelling and, and shouting in the background. They're worried because they're thinking this is it. Like we're in a lot of trouble. And so he hears the voices of sailors and there's, there's yelling and there's screaming and there's shouting. And, and I kind of imagine like he looks back and he sees his boat and it's going from side to side. And, you know, he's sort of face to the water and then face to the sky. And he's sort of holding on for balance. And he's right on the edge of that. And he looks down into the water and he sees just black because it is as dark as it can get. There's no moonlight. The clouds have completely covered that. And it's dark. And he's looking down and he can hear the sound of the waves. And they are just smashing up against the boat. He's squinting because the rain is so hard that it's hitting him in the side of his face. And he's kind of seeing. And in the distance, he sees something that looks kind of familiar to him. He thinks it's Jesus. He's calling out and he hears this voice and it says, come. And he looks down at the water, black as it is, the waves everywhere. And he knows one thing, that if he steps out and he's made a mistake, it's going to cost him his life. It's going to cost him everything because he steps out. You, you, you're never going to see that guy again. He knows he'll never be found again. He asked bets his whole life on the one word come. Bets his whole life on it. And he stands there and, he, and he's listening to everything. And he steps out. He puts one foot out. He says, God, if, if I'm wrong... I can see you. I'm shouting out. I can't quite see you clearly, but I hear your voice. And it does sound like you. And I hear you calling me to come. And he puts one foot out. And he leans over and he steps into that black ocean, hoping, believing that when he does, that something's going to be there to catch him. And I, I kind of imagined, almost to his surprise, he lands on the solid ground and he puts his feet down and he stands up and he sees his Savior. And with one step, he understood that it was God. And even then, I reckon that there was wrestle going on in his heart. He's like, I'm not sure about this. But he steps out. He gets that, that, that solid ground under him. And as he starts to, to walk and he's step by step and Jesus is calling out to him and, and, and speaking to him, right? He starts to have fear and doubt. And as he starts to have fear and doubt, he starts to sink. And, and, and Jesus sort of grabs him and pulls him up. And I love the way that the Message Bible translate this. It, it, he grabs him and he says, Peter. What got into you? Sometimes, you know, stuff gets inside of people. And they're, and they're trying to step out. Now, you've got to understand, this is a crazy story. You see, Peter, 
he's well acquainted with the ocean. Now, Peter, he's, he's a fisherman, so could we just come into agreement with the fact that he's been on the water before? It's probably not his first storm. It's not his first radio. He understands how water works. I mean, it probably doesn't take a genius to understand how water works. He understands the properties of water. He understands, you know, he didn't, he didn't understand it at the time, but, you know, all the molecules and the way that they interact and, uh, with each other, he, he understood that, you know, when you step into water that you sink. He's a fisherman. He understands it. He gets it. And then you know, when Jesus said that one word, come, do you know what he was really saying to him? He's saying to him, Peter, I'm asking you to trust me and disregard all previous experience that you've had in terms of your interaction and the properties of that water. I'm asking you to disregard every past experience. And however old Peter is in his, in his 20s, uh, I believe he was, and in his 20s, he's like, well, I'm, I'm mid-20s. And you know, most people in their mid-20s understand how water works. He's saying, I want you to disregard everything that you've understood to be true about water before. And I'm going to ask you to step out and do something and expect something different for the very first time. You see, when a defeated mindset settles, a defeated mindset settles in for a duplicate experience of the past. If you've gone through defeat before, a defeated mentality, a defeated mindset will settle for a duplicate of a past or a previous experience. But that's not what Jesus asked Peter to do in this situation. Why should you think that 2016 would be any different to 2015? Why should you think that there's anything different about next year as opposed to this year? Why should you think that all of the problems and challenges and everything that you face this year will be different next year? Why should you think it? What, because the clock ticks over? I don't really know why, but you know what I think you should do? You should ask Peter why water behaves differently after Jesus speaks to it. Ask Peter why water behaves differently. Ask Peter why for, for, for the, his whole life up to that point, he's seen the way that water behaves and yet in that one word come was all the provision that Peter needed to shift every past experience and everything he'd seen before in that one word come was everything he needed to wipe away the past and to bring something new into his life. And I am telling you right now, and this is a well-known scripture, but this is a scripture that I believe is true absolutely for you next year, is that God says, behold, I do a new thing. And what you need to do is you need to put away your entire, maybe for some of you, your entire previous and past experience, particularly with regards to failure, in order to embrace what God wants to do next year. Why should you believe that anything will be different? Because when your Saviour bids you to come and when He puts a word and a dream in your heart, you have every reason to believe that every previous experience up until this point has no bearing on what you're about to do. And then in fact, your life will be altered and your experience will be different and you'll be changed and transformed. The provision of your future is in the mouth of your Saviour. And a renewed mind, a renewed mind continues to wash itself in God's truth, the gospel message. And the gospel message is pretty simple, that you in your inadequacy have been rescued by a God in His sufficiency. 
that you in your inability have been rescued and are being upheld by a God who's able to do far more abundantly than you hope, than you even dream and imagine. I don't know, I can dream a lot. You can do more than I can dream because I can come out with a lot. You can do more than I can dream or more than I can hope for, more than maybe I can imagine. Man, I, I, I tell you right now, a renewed mind just makes a decision. It does, it's not that fear never comes to you. It's just that you choose not to live in it. Because the antidote to fear and failing in your future is God. And here's something that Paul said. Paul the apostle said, there is peace that surpasses understanding. What, here's what he didn't say. He didn't say your understanding of your circumstance is wrong. He just said there's peace that surpasses it. You may understand your circumstance. You may understand your situation. You, you, you may have a very good grip of the situation. I'm not telling you to not necessarily be afraid. I don't know what your situation entails. Your fears may be very real, but I don't think you should live in them. And I don't think they should direct and guide your path. I, I just came back from four days at, at Torquay and, uh, and we were on the beach with uh, our kids. And I'm holding Eliana, my, my youngest daughter, she's one, and I'm trying to put her feet in the water, which she hates. And as I lower her, she just sucks her whole feet up and I'm trying to put her in. She's not interested. And I was distracted, but the kids are playing down the beach and I look up, I see a wave coming from the side, like completely side on, completely side on. And I hold her and I spin and I hold her like this and the waves hit my legs and I can feel the strength and the power in, in, in those waves. So I see the boys, and my, Sarah's already called out to them. She says, boys, get out of the water. They've got their heads down. So they look up and Judah, he's six, you know, so he's a little bit older. So he takes a few steps up the beach and still got a little bit wet. But my little Isaac was a bit deeper and he's not so big and his strides are a little shorter. And this wave hit him at full force and man, he went under. And he looked like a tumbleweed. I watched him spin over three times under the water. And when he got up, he had sand all over. And we found sand deep in his ear. He had sand in his face. He had sand in his eyes. And as soon as that wave went down the beach, he popped himself up like a push-up and he ran straight up the beach. And we're driving home later. And I said to him, I said, hey, Isaac. I said, man, I'm so proud of you. You're so brave. He said, Dad, I... He said, Dad, I'm, I'm not brave. And he was looking really despondent. He's, he's upset. He said, Dad, I, I'm not brave. And I said, why aren't you brave? He said, oh, this is a, a, literally a word-for-word conversation. He said, oh, I wasn't brave. I was afraid. I said, mate, I said, to be brave requires that you're afraid. You just move forwards in spite of it. You see, it's okay to be afraid. It's all right to have fears and things in your life. But it's just not okay to let those things dominate you. You know, God never said, don't be afraid of anything. He said, don't live with a spirit of fear. And some people live with a spirit of fear that just continues to rob them of their future. And it has a voice. In fact, I was in the, uh, on the way home from the beach. Uh, we stopped off at a BP service station and I'm using the hand dryer in the toilets and they've got this sign there. It's for uh, Beyond Blue, for you know, men with depression and so forth. And it says, um, I, I am the voice of all your fears. I am anxiety. 
I am worry. I am this. See, the thing about fears are, is that fear has a voice and it speaks to you. But you know something about this is that Jesus has a voice too. Just ask Peter. He has a voice too. And you can decide, do you want to lean in and listen to a spirit of fear that actually begins to shape your your path and your destiny and your future? Or are you more likely to listen and lean into the voice of your Saviour when He speaks to you? Here's something that David said. David said, I shall not be afraid. And I read that and I thought, really? Like never? I know you're lying because I've I've read further on into the Psalms. It felt pretty confident around Psalm 56. He probably didn't know that they, there's, there's like over a hundred of them. He probably didn't know that then. But uh, I felt pretty confident about saying, I'm not going I'm, I'm to have that fear. But here's the point. He, what he wasn't saying, I'm never going to be afraid of anything ever again. He said, I'm making a decision to not live with fear in such a way that I allow it to dominate my life and control my future and control my outcome and narrow my path and destroy the dreams of God that He's put in my life. I'm not going to live like that. David's just making a decision and a choice that fear won't master him. You see, if God ever calls you to do anything, here are two things that you have to believe. Number one, that He has appointed you. And if He's appointed you, then He's anointed you. Anointing is divine grace and favour over your life to make what would ordinarily in a previous season seem to be impossible. It makes it possible. More than possible, it makes them probable. You think that you have a Father in Heaven who's willing to set you up for failure? Not this God, not the God that I serve. When He sets you up, He sets you up to win. So if He's appointed you, then He's also anointed you. And if you're ever going to step out of a boat ever for any reason whatsoever, you have to believe that. You have to believe it. The second point you have to believe is that He must think that you can handle the weight, the pressure and the challenge of whatever you're stepping out into. And guess what? It's not because He thinks that you're awesome and really tough. It's because He believes that when you lean on Him, you can have all the grace that you need in the world to actually handle the season that's about to come your way. So you've got to believe those two things. You've got to understand this. <laughs> if, if there's a, a, a big dream in your heart, you're going to be stretched into it. All right, you're going to be stretched into it. it, it it's... It's not going to be as simple as putting on an old comfortable pair of shoes. You're going to be stretched into position. And you know what? That is absolutely fine. God expects that there's going to be some stretching that will need to happen to you. Here's, Here's two ideas. Here's two thoughts that up until now, you may have thought were mutually exclusive. You can fail and please God. All right, I'm going to say it again, just so some of you get it in your spirit. You can fail and please Him at the same time. All right, because there are too many people afraid of failing. And so they don't step out. I was at Life Group. I was chatting with someone and these words came out of my mouth. It sounded profound even to me, so I wrote them down. I said, you can fail and please your Father. But the only way to fail to please your Father is to never try. You can fail and please Him. I think God just wants people that are willing to step out of the boat. I reckon if Peter didn't step out of the boat, it would have always remained 
waves that you would sink into. It was the act of stepping out that actually put the solid ground under his feet. I think God's just looking to raise up people whose identity is so secure in who their father is, in who their saviour is, that it's, it's, it's not willing to be tampered with or transformed or changed by worldly situations and circumstances, that they have the confidence to believe whatever he says and the courage to pursue it. I just believe that God is looking to raise up a people. Man, He's doing it in this room. He's, he's doing it here. There are no heroes coming from anyone else, where anywhere else. It's, it's you and it's here and it's now. And it's not even necessarily in a future season or situation. Some of you already know it. It's actually upon you. He's calling to you. He's calling upon your name. I decided that I, I, I'd look up... Uh, I just kind of Google stuff sometimes and I, and, I, and I Googled, you know, the top fears of people that decide to step out and do ministry. And so we're really clear, ministry is not in the church. It's wherever you go and take the kingdom of God. You, you, you're administering God to situations and circumstances. Can I tell you the top 10 fears? Thank you, yes. Um, this is what he said, number one. The number one fear of people stepping out to calling and ministry, number one, you ready for it? Critics people that will stand and criticize them, the voice of critics. You know, the truth is sometimes you're your own worst critic anyway, always getting down on yourself. Why didn't I do that better? I'm failing. I'm no good. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. Man, critics. Number two, failure. Number three, power brokers, people with weighty decisions that impact you and, they, and, and, and gather around you and make things difficult for you. Number four, failing to please. Number five, change. Number six, nitpickers. No matter how good you do, someone's going to come along and say, you could have done that better. Number seven, finances. I can't afford the ministry. Number eight, exposure of weakness. Number nine, offending others. Number 10, yes, believe it, people are even afraid of actually succeeding. And David writes this and he says, what can man do to me? Well, apparently a lot, apparently a whole heap because of the top 10 fears that impact people from stepping out into ministry, Satan doesn't even make the cut. He wasn't even listed in the top 10. You know what people are worried about? Everyone else. They're worried about the thoughts and the opinions. What will people say about me if I step out and do the thing that I feel that God has actually called me to do? And that is enough to squash the dreams and the visions and to stop people from doing what God wants them to do. I wonder what your biggest fear is. I wonder what brings you the most anxiety about actually stepping out and getting out of the boat. I don't know, I'm kind of guessing it might fit into that top 10 category right there. I'll tell you some fears about my own life. When I, when I decided that I would actually take over this church and, and, and become the senior pastor, with Sarah, when we made that decision to do that, I, I thought, man, day one, so people turn up. <laughs> I mean, let's just notch that up to a win if people show up today. Am I going to be any good at this? Will, will I be able to lead, encourage, inspire? Can I lead? Can I cast vision? Can I do that? I, I, I mean, this feels like I'm stepping out into something deep. And you know what the testimony is? Let me clarify the win for you. It's not the fact that we're here now. It's not the fact that the church still even exists. Here's the testimony. We did it anyway. 
And the thing about this is I knew that if I was to fail at this, it would be spectacularly public. It would be so obvious. Everyone would know. It would be so clear, so plain, so simple. And everyone go, that's right. That's the church got handed over and, and, and nothing happened in it. And I thought, man, I'm risking great failure here to step into this. Do you know what I've decided? I would rather fail and find out anyway than to always live my life wondering what could have happened. I don't want that to be me. I don't want to live the rest of my life going, if I had have just said yes to the call of God, what would be the life that I would have lived? How many people's lives would have been changed by that? And God is calling people all over this place to step out and to do things. Some of you probably have to quit the job you're in now and go to a new one where they'll pay you more money, but you'll be able to resource the kingdom. Some of you have actually got to quit your job because God's calling you to do something significant in ministry. Some of you are going to be missionaries. There's a whole bunch of calling that's on this church that's in this room right now. Dreams and visions, unbelieving is actually filling your heart. You know what? I thought, well, all right, so we're not supposed to live with a spirit of fear. I thought I'd do the opposite. I thought I'd do, hey, let's find out what we should be afraid of. When does God ever say that we should be afraid? And He does. Did you know that? He says that we should actually be afraid. There's a time when we should be afraid. I found it once. Proverbs 1.7. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you're supposed to be afraid of anything, it should be of your Father. And when I say that, I'm not talking about living in fear of wrath or vengeance. I'm saying holding Him in holy awe, with reverence in your heart, beholding His majesty, beholding His might, understanding His limitless authority and power and dominion, and knowing that He is able to do all things above, beyond what you hope, dream and imagine. And I think the reason that God told us that we should hold Him in fear and in holy awe and reverence is because once you do that, it puts every other fear into perspective. Because as soon as you get that right, you go, what can flesh do to me? I think David understood that. He got something about that, which is the only reason that he was able to go on and live the life that he was supposed to live. A kingdom-minded person can fail and dream again. A kingdom-minded person can fail and dream again. So don't live afraid because God is not calling you to that kind of life. Is that okay? We stand together this morning. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.